from the Mercy One Studio. Making it personal with Bishop William Johnson on Iowa Catholic Radio and iowacatholicradio.com. Welcome to Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson. I'm Kelly Mesher-Collins with the Diocese of Des Moines. On today's show, we're visiting with Edward Molesic, who is installed on Monday, the Bishop of Cleveland. Bishop Molesic and Bishop Johnson have been friends since their seminary days together in Ohio. But before we get to today's interview, let's find out what's on the Bishop's mind. So our last show of summer before we yes. begin the fall season <laughs> right. here, Kelly. So for some of us, and definitely a hint of that in the <clears> air <throat> as well. I feel kind of like I've been liberated a little bit yeah. by my own self-isolation <laughs> after having direct contact with one of our mm-hmm. brother priests who tested positive a couple weeks ago. And mm-hmm. so self-isolation, you know, like so many. And, uh, you know, it was kind of an interesting experience. I upped my Zoom quotient a lot more. <laughs> and uh, let me tell you, those COVID tests, you know, they're not painful in any way, but I did have two COVID COVID test. Mm-hmm. You know, it all depends on the style of the tester. The, <laughs> the first guy, you know, he's like, woo, going probing. So imagine deep, like know, a like electric know, mixer. Yeah, he can he can get a job with Roto Rooter anytime. You know, and then the and then the second woman, you know, on this Wednesday testing, it was like, whoop. We're done, you know. I was like, "Oh, I, I will." Have it's a compassion have. factor. Yeah, of women. I, I guess women, you know, she didn't. Yeah, so. <laughs> that's why you know women are good dental aides or something. I don't know. Here now, I'll get comments about being sexist. But uh, so I had to miss the Our Lady of Carter Lake 50th Jubilee celebration last mm-hmm. Saturday. But thanks to technology, my my homily. Bishop Johnson coming into the friendly <laughs> confines of Our Lady Carter Lake. So I got to experience some of that and, and share the, the joy of Jubilee with those folks there. And uh, obviously not under the circumstances that they would have wanted, but uh, still a, a benchmark time. Bishop Dingman had said, you know, when he inaugurated at the Mass uh, 50 years ago, this is something that's going to carry on for more than a century. And so he was kind of joking, you know, like uh, John Bon Jovi, you know, <laughs> living on a prayer. We're halfway there. and uh, But, uh, you know, our horizon is obviously that of eternity as well. So lots going on in the world. If people were apocalyptically minded, they would think Mm. about the hurricanes and the Mm. fires and the pandemic and everything else. But for us, Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead and everything else is different. Can you talk a little bit, uh, Kelly, about uh, some of the things that are happening out? uh, Sure. Well, I'm sure everybody has heard of Hurricane Laura, which has been um, pounding the south. There are actually six Catholic churches destroyed um, by the hurricane. The Diocese of Lake Charles, um, they experienced 150 miles per hour winds and so those three church of uh, those six churches were damaged also there's a rectory where 20 priests were living and they had to pick up and leave 20 um, priests were living so in one rectory that's what <laughs> it reminds me of the one over I mean, by Dalton. Sure, maybe surely, a little bit bigger surely though. these aren't diocesan <laughs> priests <laughs> that many of them living well, together let me look. you know they're kind of <laughs> See, this is why I need to spend more this time religious community. No, yeah. Can I get a fact checker here? But anyway, no, that's all right, though. So our hearts go out to the people like Charles yes, Diocese. Yes. And, and certainly we can kind of visualize that with our own derecho experience, which uh, right. damaged mm-hmm. three roofs for our, uh, and b- structures for churches in our own diocese. People are you know, remedying that as well. Grateful to also those who supported our derecho relief fund. Mm-hmm. And uh, what funds aren't used here will probably be directed more toward the Archdiocese of Dubuque. Mm-hmm. Not because that's my native diocese, but because they experienced so much of the damage and mm-hmm. all that's going on, as well as the Diocese of Davenport as well. And, of course, then our uh, friends on the Pacific Coast going through so much and the fires that uh, have been experienced as well mm-hmm. and, and how the, you know that, that smoke and everything else. So nature has its way, but uh, you know humans 
uh, you know, and our engagement with the environment and how we experience that too. On a lighter note, uh, Big Ten fans are going to be happy. They're playing. You know, maybe mm-hmm. they couldn't stand that the other conferences were underway. Although for mm-hmm. us Cyclone fans, we kind of maybe wish that they didn't start the season <laughs> last Saturday. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, uh, plus no change, plus elemental. The more things change, the more they seem the same. But no, Coach Campbell, he's not the savior, but he, he's he's a very capable. We sure he'll write things as well in that regard. So thinking about Christ Our Life Conference, uh, still the opportunity mm-hmm. for people to uh, get tickets and mm-hmm. to attend in person, that cap of 2,700 people. So don't just presume you can walk in mm-hmm. as it's been reduced for our mitigation measures and all that we're about, but also the great opportunity for live streaming mm-hmm. and uh, looking forward to that. And our guest next week, who uh, is going to be one of the persons appearing as a speaker at Christ Our Life. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we return, we'll welcome Bishop Edward Molesic. You're listening to Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson on Iowa Catholic Radio and the Spirit Catholic Radio Network. Hi, this is Father John Ricardo, and I want to thank Caldwell Parish Funeral Home and Crematory for underwriting Christ is the Answer. Losing a loved one, as we know, is never easy, and it can leave you feeling lost and even hopeless at times. But Caldwell Parish helps ease that burden by sincerely caring both about your loss and about your faith. Caldwell Parish Funeral Home and Crematory is Des Moines' only Catholic-owned and operated funeral home. Their number is 515-276-0551 or online at caldwellparish.com. Thank you, Blessment International, for their support of Iowa Catholic Radio. Everyone lives their life 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. How we use that time directly affects if our life will leave a significant impact or not. Each year, Blessment International leads Central Iowans on a 12-day, all-inclusive experience sharing the heart of Christ with children in South Africa. Teams are forming to do something significant in an African child's life. Learn more at BlessmentInternational.org. That's BlessmentInternational.org. Welcome back. I'm Kelly Mesher-Collins with the Diocese of Des Moines. On today's show, we're visiting with Bishop Edward Molesic, who was installed on the Bishop of Cleveland this past Monday. Bishop Molesic and Bishop Johnson have been friends for many years and have known each other since attending the same seminary together in Ohio. Well, I don't know, Bishop Molesic, if you want to be considered a friend of mine, but <laughs> thank you for appearing in this whirlwind week for you. I don't know if your assistant, uh, you, you vetted the, your appointments this week, but here you are in your first week concluding, and thank you for appearing on our radio show. Hey, Bishop Johnson, how are you today? It's good to be with uh, with you and the people of uh, your listeners. It's uh, great to be here in Cleveland as well. You're right, my first few days uh, as Bishop of Cleveland, and I'm, I'm speaking to the people of Iowa, so it's a tremendous thing. Yes, you are, and just so you know, this carries over with Spirit Catholic Radio into in Nebraska and also parts of Wisconsin, so you've got a little footprint here in the Midwest. <laughs> that <laughs> oh, that's appear. great, that's great. Yeah, so, so not a dramatic geographic ship, but moving over from the Greensburg Diocese to Northeast Ohio and everything else, uh, you know, yet a, a very different experience for as well. So all that God has formed you in your life, your own experience, experiences in the Harrisburg Diocese and in your own family background. Uh, if we think about your back family, and uh, I can recall meeting your, your, uh, your father, certainly, who's still alive, um, kind, of a, kind of that Pennsylvania blue-collar or working-class background. How did that kind of inform your own perspective of things and your own ethic of, of being a, a priest and bishop? Well, thanks for remembering my dad. He's turning 103 on September 24th. Oh, so, so that I, bodes well for you, right? <laughs> I, I think so. So he, I talked to him almost uh, almost every day. But you know, I grew up in a in a, a town 
um, called Steelton, so you can tell from the name of that town what the uh, major employer was, uh, Steelworkers. And early on, I, I passed newspapers, um, and one of the, at that time, one of the um, things we had to do was collect uh, collect the money for the newspapers. So every Saturday, I'd visit about 60 different homes. Um, and then just growing up in a family that went to church every week, and, and we knew we were Catholic, and we knew that we believed in God, and growing up in a in a very hard-working environment where people worked hard, and uh, family life was so central, so church life was so central. That's what formed me, I think. Um, the, being the, the, new, the paper boy uh, formed me into knowing how to discuss with people, how to talk to people, mm. how to work hard myself. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, I, mean, I, look at, I look at so many things in my life and find it to be providential. I, I had no sense of wanting to be a priest growing up. That was not what I wanted to do. But when I felt the call in my early years of college, I certainly realized how God had prepared me for it. Oh, yeah. You mentioned that experience of being a paperboy, and that's kind of a, I mean, there may be delivery people these days, but collecting and things like that, that's kind of foreign to people <laughs> as they simply do you know, electronic funds or anything else, I can recall. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, know. I would go, I mean, I would knock, knock on the door Saturday morning. I'd go out at <laughs> 9 o'clock in the morning. It wouldn't get back till 2 o'clock because you knock on the door, then these people would write you in, especially um, people who were alone in their homes, and you'd come in and they off you. Uh, cookies <laughs> and milk. Because I did it when I was like 10, 10 11 years old. I started early. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, yeah. And and you learn how to have discussions with people uh-huh. and you learn what their what their needs are. Yeah, it was interesting. I never thought about that as a kind of a pre-ministerial preparation. Uh, the the <laughs> yeah. route my brother David and I had, we both had routes that both had townies and the students from Iowa State University. So the students were kind of elusive, you know, trying to get them. You'd, you'd have to kind of poach on them, you know, at times, or maybe they were ducking back in. So you'd have to make three or four trips there. So persistence was part of our lesson, I think. But, uh, well, that and customer service, you know, some people wanted that door, the, the the paper folded a certain way and placed, you know, like two inches off to the right side of the door. And like, okay, I'll, whatever you want, I'll do that. I can do yeah. that. Now, you know, you have to place the host just the way people want. I know. <laughs> what would you like me to do? <laughs> With the pandemic and everything else. Well, your I father, know. you know, his longevity is a great grace and blessing to you and to, to everyone. But uh, you've also lost some family members earlier on in your life. You know, my dad's on. People always say, "Well, you have good genes," and I said, "Oh, you don't know. That's not true." Um, my sister died the year after I was ordained a priest, and she, she and I were very close to one another. Um, my brother and my brother also passed away, and then most of my cousins that are blood related uh, on one side of the family, mostly from cancer, unfortunately. Mm. So, um, yeah, I've seen a lot of death in my in my family, a lot of suffering. But you know. My mother died of cancer, too, but um, I've seen a lot of faith. I saw a lot of faith in, in my relatives who died of mm-hmm. cancer. Yeah. So not that sister, kind of bitterness my, toward God or kind of that, no, uh, that no, sense no. of, yeah. No, I mean, certainly questioning. There's no doubt that we all, we all when something tragic happens, we go through those, those stages uh, that include denial and anger. Uh, but eventually acceptance, um, I saw that in my sister, who died at the age of 38, and then a cousin from Louisiana who was pregnant with uh, her first child and then discovered breast cancer and, and um, was encouraged to undergo chemotherapy, but she would not uh, because uh, it would be very detrimental to the child if not um, uh, hmm. mortally wound the child. So, 
so she had the child and unfortunately then succumbed to cancer later. But that child grew up to be a, a wonderful young man. Hmm. Um, and she died with faith as well. So, yeah, I mean... Kind of reminiscent do, of uh, Blessed Gianna Mola then, really, you know. I mean, not as dramatic yeah. as a, a surgical yeah. intervention, but uh, foregoing yeah. her own uh, life for the sake of the child. Wow, that's very powerful. Absolutely. Yeah. And yet, you know, as a, as a brother and cousin, you're not ministering the, to them in the same way, right? I mean, this you're experiencing this in a different way than as priests. You know, I, I kind of, it was a tradition in our diocese that when a relative died, the priest always um, get preach the homily, but when my sister died, I, I I decided not to preach her homily, because uh, someone said, you know, Ed, you might need to have someone minister to you at the funeral, and, and that was so true, you know, that uh, sometimes we forget that priests and bishops need to have someone to minister to them, too. Um, we're human, and so I, I appreciated that. Yeah, no, very compassionate, very wise. Uh, you mentioned your your undergraduate days, uh, a point of connection for us. We were both undergraduate life science majors, biology, zoology, right. thinking about the health professions until God called the priesthood. Do you think that that science background is still part of your horizon of, of seeing the world and experiencing the world, and you know, even with pandemic uh, happening? Oh, uh, absolutely. Um, first of all, I think there's today this great um, mythic division between science and faith, as if there's a, you either believe in science or you believe in God, which is, for both of us, not true. I mean, we, we certainly understand what science is, what it can do, and its limitations, and we also understand um, what what faith can do, and, and when you put uh, faith and science together, you, know, you get a, a, a broader vision of life. Understanding the pandemic with some background in biology and the life sciences sciences is very helpful you know, to understand the importance of, um, of why why must we maintain social distance and why why is it a good idea to wear masks? That's just basic biology one hundred and one. Also, on the you know the issue, the oh, you're, part, the you're just part. lobbing a grenade into the culture wars right now, Bishop. Well, I know. Well, no, yeah, probably, probably. That's okay. We could have we have we could have great dialogues about that, but let's let, let's not go there right now. But uh, no, all right. So that blend of faith and reason, and, and that uh, how we wipe there. Uh, we both uh, attended the. <laughs> you're laughing. Was I'm another, gonna, was another comment? Now. I'm sorry. <laughs> My address is Des Moines, Iowa. <laughs> all mail goes to the Bishop of, of Des Moines. <laughs> well, you you've got. I mean, I'm kind of skipping around here, but you've got a number of health uh, institutions. And of course, the Cleveland Clinic is one of the preeminent. Uh, health institutions in the world, really, right? So a, a number of people. Do you have any sense of how the, the the Diocese of Cleveland and some of these places might interact? Are there any places where there's collaboration or anything in like that, or is it kind of premature question? It, it is. I'm not, I'm not quite sure. I, but I do know that uh, Bishop Perez, who was the bishop before me, was did give a talk at the Cleveland Clinic. So I think they have um, a series where they... Bring in outside speakers uh, to um, update or to inform the people that work at the Cleveland Clinic, and so I, I would expect that might happen. I, I obviously there's there's a, a relationship between the Cleveland Clinic and everything else in the in the town of Cleveland because Cleveland Clinic is such a, a huge employer and such a well known and um, world renowned institution. Mm-hmm. But I do not personally know much about the Cleveland Clinic yet. 
Okay. So so when they ask you to, to give an address, then you'll, you'll go up to speed. So. I'll, I'll find out something. Man. There you I'll go. I'll say something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, we both attended the uh, Pontifical College Josephinum Seminary in Columbus, Ohio, down the road a couple hours from Cleveland. Uh, you were ahead of me a couple of years, so I don't know that we had a whole lot of classes together, but there was obviously a lot of the time of um, communal life and things. That was in the 80s. Um, any sense now in the men that you've sent to seminary as a bishop or at Greensburg or in any way, how that experience compares with what men are you know, going through right now? Um, I, I think there's a lot of similar experiences. I think the call uh, to the priesthood it remains the same. You know, we all wanted to discover what this call was in our lives and how to um, fulfill God's will in our lives. I think that's, that's the same. Um, I'm happy to say that the, the men that I've sent to a seminary when I was Bishop of Greensburg were, you know, they were solid individuals. And, and I think uh, the, the focus today in seminary formation um, is a little bit more on uh, human formation. How do, how do these men relate to, to people so that they communi- can communicate the gospel effectively? And certainly a strong spiritual formation, which impresses me. Um, these, these men want to be holy. And I think that was true for all of us back then, too. But, uh, yeah, and you know, now I have two seminaries in the Diocese of Cleveland. I have a college seminary that we operate, and I have a major theologate um, that we operate for the formation of, of priests, um, permanent deacons, and lay ecclesial ministers. So very by the way, by the way, Bishop Johnson, your your picture is in the uh, the magazine that we have here in the Diocese of Cleveland. <laughs> so, it's, and it's a picture of you playing the trumpet and me behind you playing the clarinet. The, uh, <laughs> not behind me, by my side. Uh, I, I'm not sure what that event was, but I don't think it could have been the mud bowl because I was always competing and playing in the. That's uh, what I thought. I think, you know, it might have been a soccer game. Who knows what it was? Who knows? Know. Yeah, but uh, there we are in our white and black, you know, and things. <laughs> not exactly exactly clerics, but the, no, that was a, a great opportunity to perform at liturgies and other events as well. So, uh, And then, uh, you know, sports, uh, part of that, I would see uh, different ways. I, I was fortunate to be at the Josephine a few weeks ago, just kind of both for alumni reunion and then checking it out as a prospective place for some of our Des Moines men. The gym floor, my goodness, that's a hardwood floor, and it's, it's just splendor. It's a, it's a <laughs> temple compared to what we experience. Uh, yeah, any any recollections of being out on the floor and the, the different groups that were playing basketball at the time? Well, because, well, you, you know, I, we, we, the people who were not sports-minded um, like me and a few others um, would, would uh, start to play basketball. It was so terrible, so... We we formed our own league called the Misfits, and and uh, and that, so that these were the people who really couldn't do anything but needed to get some exercise. So was, the rule was that if you made three baskets in any one game, you couldn't come back. You were off the team, so you had to continually miss that the terrible. baskets. Yeah. <laughs> So, you were never built, and and ended ended you, you know halftime. Everyone took a cigarette break. Or not. <laughs> we charged, you know, but then to make money, we to make raise money for the poor. Some charity we charged admission one time. I remember that. So. Oh, oh, very noble, very noble. It was so hilarious. Like, <laughs> we're stumbling over each other. So, music and sports in any way? Are you have people trying to convert you to become a Browns fan now already? Oh, you know, because there's the great rivalry between Pittsburgh, where uh, Greensburg is next to Pittsburgh, and here in Cleveland. Um, so I have a face mask uh, that has the, the Cleveland Browns on one side and the Pittsburgh Steelers on the other side. So I can flip it over quickly depending where I am. <laughs> what a chameleon. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, I, I became all I things. Someone, I, yeah, I got about, when I was leaving, I got about five terrible towels. Uh, from the people. <laughs> but the from best one yeah, yeah, yeah. is about one one inch by two inches that I could stick in my pocket just in case I need to show it. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of kind of like a maniple, uh, the old fashioned kind yeah. of cloth. Yeah, <laughs> that, that was part of the vestments. So, yeah, that would, that would uh, you know, you'd have to have another penitential right, <laughs> probably for people. But uh, and then, do you, as a part of your privileges as bishop, do you get to have a uh, uh, box at the Cleveland Orchestra or not? Is that uh, is the no, symphony, Cleveland Orchestra or Symphony? I'm forgetting. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I think it's Cleveland, CLO, Cleveland Orchestra, but um, I I do not yet. I, I just walked. I thought Severance Hall was within walking distance of me because we're near the theater district, which is like four blocks away. But unfortunately, Severance Hall is um, uh, about 15 minutes by car east of me. So, but I'll, I'll definitely get there. I mean, I'm looking forward to. Hearing that and seeing the theater as well, but I'm within walking distance of uh, the baseball stadium, the football stadium, basketball stadium. Um, mm-hmm. A lot, a lot of things, a lot of things here to do. I'm right in downtown Cleveland. Marvelous. So we're we're about a minute away from a break, and so I'm going to hold off on a question. If you'd be so willing to indulge us and come back after the break, a little bit sure. more substantive question. But uh, so you're succeeding Archbishop Nelson Perez, uh, as who's going right. on to uh, Philadelphia as Archbishop. Uh, and you knew him already, and so how does that connection maybe uh, help you uh, make this transition? Well, yeah, we, we've known each other um, uh, since I've become a bishop, so we've known each other for five five years. And it was interesting, when he found out that I was going to be named the Bishop of Cleveland, he called me and said, Ed, I have two words for you. I said, what's that, Bishop, Archbishop? And he said, lucky you. <laughs> so he made me feel comfortable coming here. You know, you're moving to a new place, you wonder what's it going to be like, and, and he really gave me great reassurances that I'd love it here. Beautiful. We're going to take a quick break. I'll kick it back to Kelly here, and then we'll be back. All right. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson on Iowa Catholic Radio and the Spirit Catholic Radio Network. Thank you, Blessman International, for their support of Iowa Catholic Radio. Everyone lives their life 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. How we use that time directly affects if our life will leave a significant impact or not. Each year, Blessman International leads Central Iowans on a 12-day, all-inclusive experience sharing the heart of Christ with children in South Africa. Teams are forming to do something significant in an African child's life. Learn more at blessmaninternational.org. That's blessmaninternational.org. Thank you, Big Red Q Quick Print, for underwriting the sports report. Family owned and operated since 1980, Big Red Q Quick Print is a full service print shop ready to help you with all your printing needs with speed and accuracy. Forms, manuals, brochures, letterhead, envelopes, business cards, custom invitations, design, and bindery. Big Red Q Quick Print, located across from Merle Hay Mall. Online at bigredq des Moines.com. Big Red Q Quick Print. We make printing easy. Welcome back. I'm Kelly Mesher Collins with the Diocese of Des Moines. You're listening to Making a Personal with Bishop Johnson, and we are back with Bishop Molesic of the Diocese of Cleveland, who was installed on Monday. Indeed, and uh, I don't know our sponsor, the Big Red Q. I don't know if that's a stealth Nebraska endeavor or something <laughs> with Big Red, but uh, anyway, we'll, we'll let them be and not touch that. Um, uh, 
Bishop Malesic, you know, coming now and maybe a little grief, leaving the Greensburg Diocese where you'd served and uh, for five years, uh, very close to where my brother Mark and his son Liam, now in sixth grade there at the, at the cathedral school, they're going to miss you a lot. And uh, they, they really grew to both from a distance and, and the opportunities they had to meet you were very uh, touched by you and your humanity. You were very concerned pastorally uh, during those five years, including a pastoral letter about the opioid crisis, and were very right. uh, proactive and trying to help heal and foster support for victims of clergy sexual abuse. What do those kind of say about you and what people might expect in Cleveland? And did you have some things that you were really focusing on that you now have to hand on to your successor? Yeah. Um, you know, I, Bishop, I always wanted to be a pastor. That's, that's all I wanted. Once I felt the call to the priesthood, um, I really wanted to, to be a pastor, to work with people directly. Uh, I don't know if you know the story, but in, in the Josephine, where we studied seminary, you could get two degrees, the, the MDiv, which everyone had to get, and that was the pastoral degree, and then the MA in theology, which was the academic degree, and that was optional. Mm-hmm. I did not get my MA, I did, and all that was required was for me to write a paper, but I didn't write the paper, and some of my professors were concerned. They said, why aren't you not writing the paper? It would be easy for you to get the MA, Master of Arts in Theology in addition to the MDiv, the pastoral degree. And I said, because I don't want to work in the bishop's office, and if I get an MA, <laughs> you might want to send me on to a further study. And I never wanted to do that. Well, that didn't work out for me, because I then went on. I thought you had to have that to study canon law. And when Bishop Dottillo asked me to study canon law, I said, uh, well, I don't have an academic degree. I can't do that. He said, well, we... We looked into that, and you don't really need it. You'll be okay. Nice so, try, bucko. <laughs> I know. Nice try, bucko. Um, so anyway, that's been my heart. And when with the opioid crisis, um, what happened was pastors began talking to me about um, them. They were burying like young people on a regular basis. And I would go out and visit parishes, and parents would come up and say, please pray for my son. And I'd say, can I ask you why? And they'd say, well, he's addicted, and we don't know if he's going to die today or next year, but we're afraid. From, and this became routine. So I began to understand that this was a, something that was um, really a, a burden to our community. And so I, I uh, reached out um, to a group of people and asked them, what do you think the Church can do to help? And they, they said, you know, not to repeat what uh, has been done in the community, but what the Church can do real well is pray and educate. And so we began to educate our people. You know, I think people that were involved um, in the opioid uh, crisis on a secular level, like uh, civic officials, were just amazed that I could gather 100 people, 200 people to talk to them about this, because when they, you know, had gatherings, there might be 10 people, 5 people, they couldn't get the people together to talk with. But I could, because that's what the Church does. We gather together. And so... We were in a unique position as a church to help um, spread the news about what addiction is and, and maybe where people can get help. What am I going to turn over? What will turn over to the successor in Greensburg? Well, there's uh, um, some things that need to be done yet. Uh, we beefed up communications tremendously, but I always wanted to hire a, di- a diocesan theologian who could really help to inform communications uh, and uh, help with the evangelization effort. So that's one of the things that... Uh, I would hope the the next bishop of Greensburg will be able to continue, and also vocations. Vocations have became very critical in Greensburg, uh, vocations of the priesthood particularly. Uh huh. 
Very good. Well, we're about uh, 30 seconds out here, and uh, we really appreciate your being with us. You actually came a, a, almost a year ago now, it's been, which for my ordination installation on the Feast of St. Vincent. I did. I did. Any, it was wonderful. Any impressions of Iowans or that experience being here out with us? Until we get you out next time. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's very flat there. Um, <laughs> but same thing here in Cleveland. Oh, you know, Iowans are, are, uh, are uh, typical of the area, just warm down-to-earth, great, faithful people. Love thank it. you. Thank Love you. We're going to have to sign Love off. Uh, Bishop Molesic, many blessings and graces to you and your, your thank, new thank ministry. Thank you, Bishop. This has been thank another you, edition Bishop. of Making It Personal with Bishop Jones. Thank you to our guests and all of our listeners in Iowa and Nebraska. You can hear Making It Personal with Bishop William Johnson every week on Iowa Catholic Radio and iowacatholicradio.com.